Hello everyone, Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 213, entitled The Long Con. This is the 37th overall episode, and there are 84 to go. First, let me quickly mention uh, I had some wonderful feedback uh, on iTunes, where the user Meg Loves Lost left the following message. Great podcast, five stars. This is my favorite podcast. I look forward to it every week. It is the perfect way to get me through my commute to work. So thank you very much, Meg, uh, for your kind words there on iTunes. It's always uh, so flattering to see that uh, people have taken the time to leave reviews on iTunes. And uh, certainly I welcome any listener uh, who uh, would like to do so, to indeed do so. Uh, With that, let's now get to the Wikipedia summary for today's episode. In flashbacks... Sawyer attempts to con a divorced woman named Cassidy. While dressing, Sawyer accidentally opens a briefcase filled with fake cash bundles made from newspaper. Cassidy, however, sees through the con immediately. Cassidy is also intrigued and asks Sawyer to teach her how to con someone. They perpetrate various cons over the ensuing months. Then, however, Cassidy asks if he can teach her how to pull off a long con and reveals that she did receive a settlement of $600,000 in uh, in her divorce. Sawyer's later at a diner, his waitress being Diane Kate's mother, having lunch with Gordy, his partner. We discover that Sawyer is actually planning to con Cassidy out of her money and wants to go back on it due to his feelings for her. Gordy tells him that he has to continue the con and threatens both Sawyer and Cassidy's lives if Sawyer doesn't comply. In the last flashback, Sawyer returns to the house and tells Cassidy to run, because Sawyer's partner Gordy is going to kill them. He reveals that the long con is Cassidy herself, and sends her off, presumably with the money packed in a bag. Ultimately, Sawyer retrieves the real money, which he had concealed while he tricked Cassidy. On the island, Jack and Locke secure all the weapons, medicine, and Virgin Mary statues in the storeroom. The two agree that no one should be privy to the combination, and that each one will not gain access without the other being present. Sawyer remarks that he and Charlie are now the two most hated people on the island. Charlie replies by telling Sawyer he ought to be more concerned about Jack ransacking his tent. Sawyer confronts Jack, who explains that he is simply returning the painkillers which Sawyer stole. Sawyer replies that the painkillers were actually stolen from his stash while he was on the raft. Meanwhile, in an attempt to assuage Saeed's grief over the death of Shannon, Hurley attempts to connect with Saeed. Hurley tells Saeed that he went to Rose and Bernard's tent and got their radio from the arrow hatch. He asks Saeed if he can boost the power somehow to help them send another signal, but Saeed says that it would not work. Elsewhere, Sun is working in her garden when she hears a noise coming from the foliage. After being surprised by Vincent the dog, a burlap bag is put over her head. Her hands are tied together and she is dragged away. Sawyer and Kate bring her back to camp, and the castaways fear the others are back. Jin, however, demands a gun to seek revenge. Despite Jack's wishes to wait for Sun to regain consciousness before an investigation, Sawyer and Kate return to where Sun was attacked for an inspection. They find the burlap bag, and given that it is a different make from the bag used by Mr. Friendly on Kate, they deduce that one of the survivors has attempted the kidnapping. Kate asks Sawyer to alert Locke that Jack is coming for the guns. Locke decides to move the guns so Jack and Jin can't get them. Locke leaves Sawyer to push the button while he hides the entire arsenal. Jack enters the hatch in search of a gun, but finds the safe empty. Sawyer taunts him and tosses him the painkillers which Jack took from his tent. When Jack confronts Locke about the missing weaponry, Locke defends his actions by pointing out that Jack was about to break their agreement. During this heated discussion, shots ring out, and Sawyer enters, wielding an automatic rifle. 
Suri reveals that the incident was an elaborate long con to seize the guns and declares himself the new sheriff in town. Unbeknownst to the rest, the attacker in the garden, as well as the one who tracked Locke to the hiding place, was Charlie, who agreed to take part in the plot in order to humiliate Locke. Sawyer offers him one of the Virgin Mary statues, but Charlie refuses. Charlie asks Sawyer how anyone could think of such an ingenious plot, and Sawyer remembers his long con of Cassidy for a moment, then replies, I'm not a good person, Charlie. I never did a good thing in my life. Elsewhere, Saeed brings Hurley the radio, along with the transmission amplifier, to boost the signal. They first pick up the sound of a female French voice speaking, which Saeed assumes to be Rousseau's distress transmission. They then pick up a transmission of Glenn Miller's Moonlight Serenade. Though Hurley initially assumes they must be close to a transmission source, Saeed explains that, due to radio waves bouncing off the ionosphere, shortwave radio signals can potentially travel thousands of miles. Saeed says it could be coming from any place, to which Hurley replies, or any time. And with the summary out of the way, let's now move into my thoughts about the episode. The episode, of course, opens in a gun closet. Uh, a lot of time certainly has been sent, spent in the gun closet in the last few episodes, and uh, I'm absolutely certainly looking forward to the upcoming time that we'll be spending there next week, where, of course, uh, that mysterious man uh, who gets captured by Rousseau ends up in there, thus starting one of the great chapters in, uh, in Lost, and certainly one of the great characters of the series. But... You'll have to tune in next week for that. Let's get back to this episode. Uh, It certainly is a tense opening as well, with Locke dragging his feet uh, concerning sharing the gun-locker combination. Um, It might be a bit contrived, certainly, but um, it's fun nonetheless. With that, we cut to the beach. Sawyer needling Charlie about being kicked out of Claire's quote-unquote home. Uh, It's recapped on right. They're they're discussing previous events, but not uh, to... uh, well, not to the, the, the detriment of the narrative. The teaser sequence also sets up the conflict for tonight. Jack ransacking the medicine from Sawyer's stash. Sawyer promises that uh, if it's all forgotten, there'll be no harm, no foul. Jack, of course, takes the medicine, and uh, that then sets in motion Sawyer's desire to set up a long con on the island. With that, we cut to the title card, and uh, after it, we... Uh, head immediately into the first flashback. It's really, really fun to see that familiar con run by Sawyer. You know, he wakes up with the woman. Oh my goodness, I'm late. The money explodes out of the briefcase. It's nice that they're revisiting that. And it's even nicer, too, that it goes wrong uh, with someone who really is smart, uh, who, who, who's too smart to be fooled by that sort of thing. Uh, of course, in the person of Cassidy. Uh, we go back to the island, and there's what I think is a genuinely touching scene of Kate bringing Sawyer some reading material. Granted, it's a 1970s magazine for women, um, but Sawyer can't read it because he, he explains that his uh, reading glasses were uh, lost on the raft. So he asks slash cajoles Kate into reading it to him. Extremely touching scene. It's warm. It has a tinge of flirtatiousness to it at a certain point, but it certainly is not... Uh, it's not a flirtatious scene, and it's kind of all the more unfortunate that um, part of the reason Sawyer is uh, asking for her, you know, for her to stay, um, it's to establish that Sawyer was with someone during the attack. He, you know, he's he's setting up an alibi so no one could possibly even consider him. No one's even going to bring it up because there he was with Kate the entire time. Um, and also, too, you know, it's setting up the the the. I don't know, love is the wrong word, but setting up the uh, the charm that he's putting towards Kate, uh, which he will uh, use to play her to perfection uh, in, in the course of his con uh, being perpetrated. Uh, the episode is also spreading the love around. We're seeing plenty of characters, and uh, we Saeed's <laughs> we don't Saeed see we see Saeed splitting coconuts. Try and say that ten times fast. Hey, man, you gonna put the lime and the coconut, drink them both up? Lime and the coconut? The song? What do you want, Tony? So I'm over at Rose and Bernard's tent. Do you know he's a dentist? 
Well, that's what I've been holding out on us. The guy picked up Boone's signal from the Norwegian plane. Nigerian. Right. Anyhow, he picked it up with this. That is a short wind radio. It's a glorified walkie-talkie. Yeah, but can't you switch a blue wire with a red wire, make it stronger? We tried to send a signal with the plane's transceiver, and all we got was the French woman's message on a loop. Why would I bother? Come on, man. I mean, it's worth... It's worth nothing. It's a waste of time. Just trying to cheer you up, dude. I don't need cheering up. Once again, we have a bit of effective recap there. Uh, you know, Saeed's upset, needs cheering up. They're not explicitly saying it's because of Shannon's death, but certainly, uh, unless it's your first episode, you know you know that's the case. Uh, it brings Hurley back into the mix in terms of his jovial nature, being concerned about people's uh, souls, not in a not in a you know religious sense or in a in a large sense, but just being well, maybe psychology is better. Being worried about people's psychology uh, and not just their their physical well being. Um, you know, it's just a nice scene. It's two characters, uh, genuinely and organically, uh, having a discussion which is appropriate to, uh, appropriate to the episode. Certainly there's, uh, you know, the, 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 the puppet masters, the, the, the episode writers have the intention of doing a little something with the radio, uh, to advance the plot a bit, but also it's just an excuse for the characters to be, to be themselves. Uh, and the scene ends too with Hurley walking off, but he silently, leaves the radio, which Saeed then then notices. It's a very nice visual touch. Uh, there's also some nice recap from Anna Lucia. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, to, to be fair, in the first 10, 11 minutes of the episode, there's a ton of recap, but none of it is this case where you're saying, you know, where, where, where you're kind of rolling your eyes saying, why are they you know, telling me these things? It's characters ordinarily discussing things. Um, and... Uh, Anyhow, I mean, Anna Lucia is discussing the need for this army with which to attack the others, how everyone feels safe on this side of the island uh, versus the tailies who know the true price of the uh, of the others. Um, there's a little bit as well concerning uh, how Anna Lucia knew about the plot to get the locker combination from Locke. So uh, very well done. And... Uh, 11 minutes into the episode, they really, really are sharing the love. I mean, let's see who we've seen so far. Locke, Jack, uh, Sawyer, Kate, uh, Anna Lucia uh, now, uh, Hurley, Saeed, and then now, furthermore, we see Sun in her garden. But there's a further character who returns. Vincent returns. Now, it's done in a way to make us think that there's some threat out there. Lurking Giacchino strings. But... It does kind of come across as fake and contrived. Now, it happens to work for the episode here because the real shocker is when Sun actually gets attacked from behind. Uh, so it's kind of the show, you know, having its cake and eating it too. Um, after her attack, Sawyer finds her uh, and Jack appears and they rush to attend to her. There's fantastic camera work in that whole bit. It's shaky and desperate. It feels like some of this news footage that you see after... You know, there's been a, a, a bomb or something going off in Iraq. And just kind of that real uh, documentary style of this is happening now. It's happening live. It's not the case of, you know, the fact that there's a director and a crew of 50 behind the camera making it all possible. Uh, it, it just feels terribly uh, in the moment. So kudos to them. Uh, the act ends a bit predictably, perhaps, with Anna Lucia declaring, they are back. Uh, she says it to Jack. It, it comes across as a little obvious, but it does help throw things into chaos. I think that certainly the way the episode is edited, uh, primarily up to this point, there is little question that we are meant to assume that it was Anna Lucia. Uh, we don't really buy, you know, particularly when there's all this discussion, some of which is about to happen in the next clip, but when there's all this discussion of, from last week's episode, this isn't, you know, this isn't your island. This is our island. There's a line. Don't cross the line. Leave us alone. We'll leave you alone. All of that. You know, we there's that floating around in our heads. Then there's this business of um, Anna Lucia saying they're not scared enough. You don't, you all don't know to be scared. Then Sun is attacked. P.S. We see, uh, you know, we see Sawyer with Kate. We see a whole bunch of people 
uh, on the beach hearing her screams, etc., etc. But we don't see Anna Lucia, and it appears after Kate is, uh, pardon me, after Sun is brought to back to her tent, the edit is such that it's as though Anna Lucia appears out of nowhere. And now I don't mean that in a in a poor continuity sense, and I don't mean that in the magical sense, but it's as though you know. The camera doesn't show her uh, with anyone before the crash. So there's kind of this feeling of like, oh, hey, how, how long has she been here? Where did she come from? Um, all pointing towards the notion that Anna Lucia did it. And, uh, well, that's, as I said, that's supported by this next clip. Let me ask you something. This whole scenario makes sense to you. What do you mean? Think about it. First off, how'd she get away? Woman doesn't weigh 100 pounds soaking wet. She's fighting for her life. People are capable of almost You can get away. You versus son, auto or death match. My money's on you, Sheena. Thanks for your vote of confidence. It, it really is great to see them kind of. I don't know, interacting with their own story. It's something that you don't see often in in a television presentation, but. Uh, you know, here they are kind of questioning the things around them. It's just, it's just, it's just different. Certainly is different. Uh, Particularly, uh, you know, looking ahead to some of the other, uh, you know, some of the upcoming episodes of this season. I know there's a certain point where, where Ben, he he probably isn't named Ben yet. He's probably still uh, Henry, but where Ben basically chastises the people in the hatch for saying, you know, why aren't you asking more questions? And it's this kind of shout out to the audience of, of us being frustrated with them in that way. But um, it's a you know it's a nice scene. Of course, it's Sawyer's going through this investigation in order to demonstrate to Kate certain things because Kate is being conned as as is everyone else. No one would no one would believe Sawyer if he said X Y Z. But he's saying it to Kate. He's showing Kate. Kate is seeing these things, so Kate can go and tell these people such and such. And uh, it's all part of that masterful con and. As he starts to dispute some of the facts, uh, the business of how the the hood, the weaving on the hood, um, he he ends that scene by saying it's all in the details, which gets repeated in the flash as we return to the flashback, uh, right before Sawyer and Cassidy start a conning. Uh, and I love that we we really, really, truly have an episode where the flashback speaks to the island story, and we're going to see that time and time again when it's revealed in the flashback. That Sawyer is indeed running a con, uh, or as we first start to understand that, boom, the next scene, we start to understand that he's running a con on the island. When it's revealed that he has a partner, we very quickly learn that he uh, that he has a partner on the island too, etc., etc., as we will discuss as we go through the episode. But it really is, uh, it's a masterfully designed episode, and the, the, the flashbacks fit so absolutely well into uh into the story as a whole uh we start to see kate uh spreads uh, sawyer's theory of sun being attacked kind of in-house uh, with that we go to commercial ending the act uh when we come back jack tries to feel out the situation with anna lucia you know did she do it jack is expressing our our concerns um but not before she mixes up scott and steve one of them of course being dead before she ever came over uh, it's a bit contrived, but it's good fun. I mean, you could argue it away as somebody else messed up the name to her and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And she wasn't there to correct it, so now she thinks that's the guy's name. A little bit of silly fun. Uh, believable to a certain degree. Not believable to a certain degree, but Scott and Steve, ever ever useful. And at that point, precisely halfway through the episode, Son Awakes... Jin is demanding gun, 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 and we cut. And this is like this is literally halfway through the episode. Uh, we cut to a long shot of Jack trying to explain to Jin why he's not getting a gun. We're seeing the fear spreading throughout the camp. The long shot ends up being a point of view shot of Sawyer. We see the reverse, and it's Sawyer who's watching them, watching the chaos unfold. There's even a Jakino dum in the strings which is a bit of foreshadowing, I'm sure, as to where this episode's evil is coming from. Just wonderful. Wonderful structure, as I said. Wonderful structure to this episode. We have this, at the halfway point, there's the first little glimpse of, uh, you know, we've gone into the 
the the valley of the story here and as we're going to start to traverse to the other side right at the you know we, we have uh story-wise and musically you know this nod of nod of the hat to the fact that it's it's all Sawyer it's so enjoyable too to see how paranoia sets in how Sawyer uses Kate to reach her own conclusions to help set things in motion uh ironically or not which is to say, or not, because I'm sure it's on purpose, the next scene is a flashback where Sawyer then explains the notion of a long con. This is an episode where I think it's very easy to see it for the very first time and to just kind of sit and take it all in and not necessarily uh, play along too much. And that's not to say... um, It's not to say that it's one of these episodes where you really need to be uh, paying attention because this is a big episode it's not one of those but and it's almost deceptive as a con is it's almost a deceptively easy episode to watch hey there's an attack there's an investigation there's a sawyer flashback but it's incredibly structured to be telling you for a great deal of it that (laughs) the name of the episode the long con it's two it's two long cons um anyhow back on the island after that explanation of the long con uh, Sawyer goes to the hatch and convinces Locke that Jack and company are coming to take the guns. Um, I don't remember how obvious it was on first viewing that it was a Sawyer con, but it is just, it certainly is clear to us now. It's fairly clear to us at this point on first viewing. And it really is masterful to see him tugging here, pushing there, playing off comments as he doesn't care, or he's sharing this to annoy Jack, or saying that he'll just walk away if. Locke doesn't want him to do this or that. It's 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 masterful. Uh, the next flashback scene, which has kind of a, a rather anemic uh, cameo from Kate's mother, who isn't exactly cameoed clearly. Uh, and just to get off on that tangent for a moment, the image uh, that I think is so uh, permanent of Kate's mother is when she's sick in the in the in the bed, and you know she's saying "Help, help!" because she recognizes that it's her evil daughter. Other episodes, I think there's only other one episode that Kate's mother has been in, which is the uh, the the um, you know what Kate did, where we uh, see the mother working at a diner shortly after Kate has blown up the the stepfather stepfather slash real father slash stepfather um but so in that scene where she's not kind of looking ill from from being near death it takes kate to come in and say you know hey mom blah 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 in fact there's a little bit of a of a game in the in the first minute or so of that scene where you know can i get you a slice of pie blah 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 before they kind of you know tip their hand that it's the mother Point being, she's not super recognizable. Uh, they don't do anything within the story to sh- to ma- remind you in any way. So you're kind of just saying like, "Hey, it's a blonde waitress lady," and, and you know, and, and if you're playing along at home, you might say that reminds me of Kate's mother, who was a blonde waitress lady. There's no kind of reference to anything else. I don't know, and. and I guess my point is this. If you're going to go to the trouble to be cute and get an actress who's been in very few scenes in the last 36 episodes of uh, 36 episodes of Lost and and to make that connection with a capital C, then do something to jog our memory better other than to say, hey, that reminds me of someone else. And then you go to Wikipedia or Lostpedia or IMDb or your message boards or whatever to find out that it's the same person. Had they perhaps put a Band-Aid on her cheek that we might have then said, ooh, that's the mom, the mom who we were concerned uh, was getting smacked around by the stepfather, father of stepfather, um, something like that. And I know I, I, if, it, if there was too much of a tipping, then you're taking away from the actual drive of the scene, which is Sawyer meeting the partner we didn't know he had and all that. But anyhow, lots of discussion over... A cameo, yes, but a, a cameo that I consider to have not worked very well. Anyway, also in that scene, more importantly, we learned that Sawyer has indeed been doing a long con on Cassidy for the last six months. Whew. Kind of a tangent longer than the headline. Anyhow, at that point we are 
two-thirds of the way through the episode, and the show starts to demonstrate that the island story is a long con, too. Again, just to kind of highlight the structure here, at the first third, we're introducing uh, characters, the problem for the episode, etc. At the one-third mark, which is to say, starting the middle of the story, that's when there's the first little hint that it is all Sawyer's doing. At the two-third mark, which is to say, starting the final third, the show is really demonstrating that this is a long con. Uh, To review, the flashback revealed in the last scene... Uh, that there was a, lo- a long con going on in that story, and now the island story shows it in this scene. Sawyer, alone in the hatch, clearly having not taken the guns, is there when Jack and Jin arrive. Jack can't be too pissy with Sawyer. He clearly did not take them. But Sawyer adds kind of an fu by taking a pill, then returning the very same bottle that Jack took at the start of the episode. Uh, at that point, well... At that point, you certainly would have super suspicions, but then it's really nailed home by a slow zooming close-up that tells us, yes, Sawyer did this. Uh, it is. It has been a long con. We're not entirely sure how. We're not entirely sure what the complete structure of it is, but the show through cinematography is is absolutely telling us that, that it has been a long con. And the show doesn't wait too long to hammer this home because in the next scene... Jack and Locke start to fight. It's a bit of a long clip, but Sawyer's monologue is so wonderful that, uh, well, here's the entire thing. How much time before there's an accident? Another accident? I made a mistake teaching Michael how to shoot. Now he's... He could be dead for all I know. And that, 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 that was my fault. I take responsibility for that. And so, yes... I'm taking responsibility for the guns. I too. want two I'm guns, sorry, Jack. Jack. That's the way it's going to be. Two guns. Jack now off. tell me where they are right now. You gave him the guns. No. I hid them. That's right, Jack. He's as stupid as you are. You were so busy worrying about each other, you never even saw me coming, did you? But how about you listen up? I'm only going to say this once. You took my stuff. While I was off trying to get his help, get his rescue, you found my stash and you took it. Divvied it up. My shaving cream, my batteries, even my beer. And then something else happened. And you decided these two boys here were going to tell you what to do and when to do it. Well, I'm done taking orders. And I don't want my stuff back. Shaving cream don't matter. Batteries don't matter. Only thing that matters now are guns. And if you want one, you're going to have to come to me to get it. You want to torture me, don't you? Show everybody how civilized you are. Go ahead. But I'll die before I give them back. And then you'll really be screwed, won't you? The new sheriff in town, boys. Y'all best get used to it. Love it, love it, love it. It's just absolutely fantastic. It's a great monologue. Touches on past episodes. Uh, Interestingly enough, too... uh, there's no question that it is hammering home that Sawyer is being presented in a bad light. Now, I've made the comment many, many times before about Kate episodes where they intentionally paint her in a bad light and that makes me like her less. How is it then that we don't dislike Sawyer uh, any any less from this? Um, I'm not entirely sure. Maybe there's a gender bias going on. Maybe it's just some of the particulars of the story that... You know, it, there's a certain uh, Wild West quality to it that, you know, it was Sawyer's stuff, respect Sawyer's stuff. He comes back, give his stuff back. That wasn't that wasn't done. So he's acting uh, in, in the laws of the wild uh, and, and whatnot, whereas Kate is just continually uh, tragically wrong about the decisions she's made in her life. Perhaps there's all of that. I, I don't know. Uh, I'll mention, too, uh, the music 
to me, is slightly Western. He's saying there's a new sheriff in town. He's the cowboy of the show. He's got the guns. Uh, and there's a little... There's a, there's, there's a moment there where the music appears slightly Western. It's not imitative of the Western style. And it's not out of character for Giacchino or for the, the lost musical palette. But let me play it again. Let's see if you can hear just a slight Western... I don't want to say twang because it's not a banjo twang, but there's a slight Western flavor to the music. New sheriff in town, boys. Y'all best get used to it. I feel like some of those long string notes really could be played over, uh, you know, a... a hot sun as as cowboys make their way across the desert, uh, searching for the gold, uh, this kind of thing. So um, I don't know if that's intentional. Uh, certainly the whole notion of critical analysis is that the uh, when a work is now ready to be analyzed, uh, that the, the intention uh, falls out of the hands of the, the writer and into the person doing the analysis. So uh, I can't say as to whether Mr. Giacchino... Uh, added that on purpose but certainly the effect to my ears anyway is uh is that slight western edge to it anyhow after the act break which we heard musically twice we see sawyer in flashback doing the right thing reminding us why he likes uh why we like him he declares that to cassidy that the last six months have been real he gets her out of safety of course as we will learn that's not true um Somehow Sawyer keeps disappointing us, uh, as does Kate, but we, we don't mind it from Sawyer. Um, back in the island st- uh, story, uh, Kate confronts Sawyer, who is polishing his gun, literally, you pervs. Uh, there's excellent lighting of her in that scene. I mean, yeah, I, maybe I should be talking about the dramatic pull of, of that moment where uh, here she's been, uh, unknowingly she's she's been kind of in a sense, the, the the hinge to the entire plot. If it wasn't for Kate validating what Sawyer was saying, Kate saying things to Jack, um, which led Jack to suspecting Anna Lucia, and blah, 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 blah. It's all, well, it's, it's it's you know, Kate's the one with egg on her face here. Um, but the lighting in the scene is wonderful. It's very darkly lit, but um, it's basically jet black behind her. But the light, there's a light in her eyes, which it captures. I don't know what the proper term is, but you know that that kind of white uh, glisten in the eye. And I don't mean the, the a part of the eye, just how the light reflects. There's there's that, of course, but in the eye to our you know to the left of the screen, which I suppose is her right eye, she has the a, a little bit of liquid. I, I would read it as it, it's it's the tiniest bit of tear, having been uh, been been. So hurt by Sawyer, but there's a little bit of of tear in her eye, which also is reflecting the light, and it's just it's a, it's an excellently uh, composed shot of her. On the flip side, for the reverse shots with Sawyer, it looks like they perhaps underlit him, and that they've had to turn up the brightness for for all of his shots because everything kind of looks v- vaguely vaguely whitewashed, and you only really notice it compared to the jet black behind Kate. That the black behind him looks a little. Oh, it looks a little gray, but anyhow, enough uh, ponderings here on uh, cinematography. Uh, the radio story comes back into the episode as the episode starts to wrap up. Said has added wires and done all sorts of mechanical odds and ends to it. Uh, for some reason, the shots of Said uh, with the starry background as he's kind of sticking his contraption in the sand, it's clearly a fairly poorly done green screen. Um I don't know why. I mean, the stars are the stars are too big, too bright, too many. Um, it's just kind of that bad motion blurriness to to bad green screen. Um, clearly, whatever. I mean, I, maybe not clearly, but I would imagine that whatever uh, whatever shot they had initially taken um, just didn't work, and this was a quick thing on the fly. You know shoot him from the waist up against the green screen with the prop in hand, say your lines, that's it, you know, go home. But anyhow, um, I'm not quite sure why the, the uh, well, I guess that's the reason why. But anyhow, um, 
it certainly is contrasted by when he sits down by Hurley. They're clearly still on the real beach and, and whatnot. So, as I said, maybe it's indicative of the initial shot not working. Um, with the playing of the radio, the show adds another mystery to the heap, uh, having, of course, tuned past Rousseau's signal with quick dismissal. This frequency bounce off the ionosphere. They can travel thousands of miles. It could be coming from anywhere. Or any time. Just kidding, dude. It's kind of one of those frustrating moments in Lost where it's like, ugh, another mystery. How about the mysteries you've already set me up with? Um, and it's it's a mystery which uh, certainly, to my mind, is not ever completely adequately addressed. Although uh, we'll discuss it a bit more in uh, in the Lostpedia section, which has some some tidbits about it. Ultimately, I mean, it's it's supposed to be a slight tipping of the hand as to the the time distortion that the island uh, experiences. Uh, you might recall the business, also not entirely explained uh, uh, later on season four when um, there's uh, there's like a test rocket fired from the, from the freighter onto the island and uh, the times are being compared and the times are off a bit. It's just, again, it's not, it's not something that is completely ever, ever completely explained. But I think it is, uh, you know, just part of the weirdness of the island. And if they're trying to get that in there, then then fine. So be it. Um, after that scene, we then have uh, the final scene or, or kind of the final scenes uh, in that it goes uh, Sawyer and Charlie on island, then a flashback, then the completion of the Sawyer and Charlie on island scene. Um, it, too, is extremely lowly lit. Uh, and that's to the benefit of the show as dark things are going to be discussed amongst dark characters who've done dark things. Um, and indeed, as Charlie approaches Sawyer, both are barely visible. Never saw you, huh? It's more worried about his sudden guns than being followed. Figured you want your friends back. If I wanted them, I would have taken them before I told you where they were. It's not why I did it. It's not, huh? I wanted him to look like a fool. To feel like a fool. Oh, well. It's like Johnny Locke's got himself a nemesis. This idea, all of this, what we did, what made you? Have someone think of something like that. I'm a good person, Charlie. thing in my life as a charlie fan i i really appreciate the fact that this whole plan was made possible by Locke not being sympathetic to charlie by no one believing charlie who let's not forget was having these waking dreams visions hallucinations uh which were not drug induced, at least not. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not of the opinion that he was using the the heroin. I mean, and certainly the fact that the the Virgin Marys are unbroken is, to me, suggestion enough that 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 he wasn't using. Um, but they're 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 willing to see the worst in him in previous episodes, so it comes back now to haunt them because who else would do this other than somebody who feels completely. Uh, isolated from the group, uh, Jack certainly didn't step up to to help Charlie, other than to say, you know, I hope this kind of thing doesn't happen again. You know, kind of the the 
uh, you know, almost a parole officer sort of uh, uh, emotional appreciation of, of what's going on. Uh, Locke paying the price for what he did, right or wrong. Claire not being more understanding. You know, it's Charlie who's the self-destructive one here, and that self-destruction has led to uh, a huge uh, shift in power uh, for everyone. And uh, I like, too, uh, that there's this symmetry, which I had mentioned before. We didn't know Sawyer was working with Gordy, his male accomplice, as he was using Cassidy, just as we didn't know Sawyer was working with Charlie as uh, he primarily used Kate. Um, It's just, it's a great episode, and the only complaint I have is that I wish that the final shot wasn't a quick cut to Lost, along with a sound. I know that they're already near black in the end of the scene, so there's, it, there's not much room to fade to black. But couldn't they have simply faded to black or cut to bu- cut to black? Uh, to me, it's the sound effect that kind of, you know, it, it's the tag on at the end to say, you know, it's Lost doing crazy Lost things. Tune in next week, as opposed to just, you know, Sawyer declaring he's an awful person and just end the episode like that. Heck, end the episode without the sound effect with just the word Lost saying, yep, here's another Lost person. But anyhow, with that, the though the episode is over, the podcast is not. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff from Lostpedia this week, and the first one probably is the longest one in terms of its text. Uh, it's all about that radio signal. It says, the call sign of the radio station Hurley and Said find is WXR. Uh, WXR appears to be, says Lostpedia, a public service station operated by the U.S. Army. And they're saying this in in our world, in the world of reality, which is where hopefully we all are right now. Uh, Under international protocols, the prefix W is assigned to the United States, um, and combinations from WUA to WVZ and WXA to WZZ are reserved for the stations of the Army in the United States. Further, Lostpedia says, interestingly, WXR was the call sign used by the Army base in Kodiak, Alaska in 1945. So there you go, kind of a, an, an old, well, I was going to say old time, but how about a, a past connection to that call sign? Um, furthermore, says Lostpedia on this very topic, producers Lindelof and Cuse confirmed in the Season 5 recap episode uh, Lost a Journey in Time that the radio broadcast was indeed from the 1940s a result of time travel. So again, whether that's because of the uh, the just the weird time nature of the island, or whether that's because of something involving how, uh, the island, uh, well, not the island itself, but you know, people skipping through time with the whole donkey wheel business. Um, I don't know, but certainly it's, it's internally consistent enough. Uh, and also Lostpedia mentions that the station is playing music by Glenn Miller, a musician who was never seen again after his plane disappeared in bad weather during World War II. So... It all works really, really nicely. Really, really nicely. Uh, in that scene, says Lostpedia, uh, as Said and Hurley sit on the beach tuning the radio, at time frame 3927, a spark can be seen flying up from the fire and hitting Hurley just above the upper lip. So I'm glad that Jorge Garcia was not injured in that, uh, in that moment. Uh, also, says Lostpedia, when Said approaches Hurley with the radio he has modified, Hurley is reading the manuscript Bad Twin by Gary Troop. Gary Troop is the man who was sucked in the airplane turbine engine shortly after the crash. Now, I will mention the whole Bad Twin Gary Troop thing. Um, If you weren't watching the show when it originally aired, then you might have missed that whole bit of nonsense, which basically was an excuse by... I don't know whether it was the producers or the studio or, or all to basically figure out a way to make more money off of Lost and off of this thing. Because there's all this fan fanaticism going on, uh, especially during Season 2, which I think probably was the height of fan involvement. Um, But you have people going crazy with forums and making uh, intricate web pages relating magnetism and real-life magnetic uh, research to the show and... uh, explanation of the numbers in relation to art and science and music and all of this all this fan energy being made by fans being consumed by fans and i think uh the people with the money 
behind the show were saying, uh, hey, there's all this fan energy. Why aren't we making any money off of it? Uh, not that you can stop fans from having this discussion and it's making people watch the show even more carefully, etc. But how do you make some money off of it, I think was the discussion. The result was this stupid novel, Bad Twin, which apparently was of atrocious, uh, you know, just a fairly awful novel that was actually um, released by Gary Troop, which in reality was a uh, was a uh, pen name for whoever wrote it, whoever took their money and ran to write it. Um, and basically, the idea was, you know, ooh, it's something from the show. Let's go out and buy it and see what see what mysteries it reveals to us. The only thing is that the producers didn't write it, nor were they particularly participating in it you know they're busy running the show right i mean you get two months off in the summer but that's when you're writing the season you know maybe not episodes but that's when you're sketching out the the the, the episodes to come so for little off and cues you know to do 20 plus episodes of lost as was the case for the first three seasons you know it's a basically a full-time job six to seven days a week of uh, casting and writing and supervising the writing staff and special effects and the edit and post-production and music and talking to the director and you know, all of this. So, I mean, I, I remember podcasts from 2006. You know, somebody would get a hold of the book and read it. And it's just, you know, it's fairly atrocious. It's just a, a tie-in piece that's meant to be a way for fan fan interest to turn into dollars that the studio gets so bad twin indeed back to lostpedia though uh which as a side note uh, i remember reading you know that's it's it's ad supported so that's a way to turn fan money into dollars but anyhow um when jack asks for the combina- asks john for the combination uh john says i'm going to assume that you're asking me because you're worried i might fall off a cliff or something this is an excellent bit here from Lostpedia. This foreshadows Jack kicking the man in black, disguised as John, off a cliff during their fight in the end. The way Lostpedia puts that is excellent, that it is foreshadowing. Now you might say, well, that was not, they didn't know that back then. Does not matter. The fact is, Jack kicks, quote unquote, John off a cliff, <laughs> or to use Locke's words, or something, there was something being it wasn't Locke, it was the man in black looking like Locke, blah, blah, blah. But it just, I mean, boy, oh boy, that works perfectly. That's absolutely fantastic. Uh, says Lostpedia as well, Kevin Dunn, who plays Gordy, appeared in the rejected Sawyer flashback from Adrift. Uh, however, it is unknown what relation those flashbacks had to the one in this episode. You might recall uh, in our discussion of the episode Adrift that they had that it originally was a Sawyer episode that was axed because at the writing level, you know, at the Lindelof and Cuse level, it was fundamentally not working, and it was not the fault of anyone, they said, other than them for, I don't know, I don't know whether they wrote the episode, but certainly they said, you know, a big mistake happened on our watch, we needed to pull the plug, and that then very quickly, you know, there's this rejected Sawyer flashback out there. Um, It's nice that they bring him back. (laughs) certainly, to something he hadn't, you know, to a show he hadn't appeared in before, even though he had been paid for his time in the drift that didn't make it to air. Anyhow, the last bit from Lostpedia, uh, it's a good one. Jack clearly calls John Jack right before asking for the combination. Uh, This was fixed in the Season 2 DVD, says Lostpedia. Now, I did not know that watching it because my Netflix version is, of course, from the the season DVDs or, you know, that kind of edit of the show, uh, the replacement of the penny photograph, etc. is all the way it is on Netflix. However, you can see this mistake on YouTube if you search for Lost Long Con Jack Mistake. It's the first thing to pop up. Now, to be fair, it's not like Jack says, first of all, it's not a close-up on Jack. Jack's back is to the camera, so you don't see him mouthing the word. And I think it is something that he kind of, that the actor flubbed and caught as it was coming out of, out of his mouth. Because it kind of sounds like a, like a, I won't even try and, and imitate it. You can see the YouTube clip. It's like a mixing of the word Jack and John. It's, you know, we've all had that moment where you mean to say, you know, 
Susan and Sam comes out. It's kind of this Susan, you know, kind of mix. He he mixes it, and um, but it's it's audible enough to be like at the very least to be unclear. And uh, if it for, for it to be fixed, um, indeed shows that it was a mistake. So that is the bountiful joys brought to us by Lostpedia this week. And let's now look ahead to next week. Next week is a massive, massive episode. Episode 215, entitled One of Them. It is, of course, the introduction of uh, a, a little character, Henry Gale, a.k.a. Benjamin Linus, um, and his, his start to the show. And just, uh, I mean... What a, what, a, what a magnificent episode, what a magnificent number of episodes it becomes, uh, or, you know, that the, the, the spring from that, that next one, one of them, and uh, I certainly, certainly can't wait to discuss it with you all next week, and uh, with that, a couple of reminders, new episodes launched to the website, iTunes, and the Lost Podcasting Network for Mondays, so you can hop out of bed Monday morning and uh, find, find the podcast. Also mention uh, the other podcast that I'm involved in, the PH Geek Podcast. You can go to phgeek.podbean.com or search iTunes for PH Geek Podcast and uh, hear the various geeky topics that we discuss there. Uh, for this podcast, though, if you'd like to share feedback, you can call the voice message line at 732-707-1815. You can say hello to me on Twitter, where I am Looking Back Lost. You can visit the webpage, lookingbacklost.podbean.com. And you can find the show on iTunes, where reviews are always appreciated, just like the review shared today from Meg. So thank you once again for listening. It is always so much fun to be getting together and discussing these. And I will join you all again next week for the fabulous episode 215, One of Them. Take care, and bye-bye.